I'm looking at affordable housing here in Tulsa around this grocery store and working with another guy who is here in town, a developer who's got a ton of properties. He actually likes to buy single family houses and rehab it and put a family in there and then teach them how they can buy that property. So he Mm -hmm. works with them and has a bank work with them to figure out how they can actually ultimately purchase that property. Get more homeowners for all the reasons you just talked about. Ties to the community. It ties you to making things better in your community. You want your whole neighborhood to look good. So you do the things you can do. Just the snowball effect that happens from pride of ownership. Even if you don't end up owning that place, living someplace that's worthy of you living there. The sad part is you walk in there and you can see through the cracks outside and people are actually living in this property. That's not acceptable. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Shower and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset, and from macroeconomics to local market trends. Grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have with us today, Felicia Fro, part-time surgeon, full-time real estate investor, and full-time CEO, founder of Money with Mission. So somebody who's interested in having dollars with a social impact. Welcome on the show, Felicia. Thank you, Terry. And thank you, Axel. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So why don't you just by way of a start, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in real estate, how you got maybe less interested in your day job. That's a long story that I'll try to not take up the whole time. I am a urologist and have been a urologist for just under 30 years. I was saying 20 years for the longest. And I kept thinking, okay, these years are starting to add up. So it's just (laughs) under 30 now. Went to medical school, did my residency, and those things are a story in and of themselves, and then started practicing. And I practiced not in Canada, but it was cold like Canada to me in St. Paul, Minnesota. And while I was there in like the first five years of practice, I just had this feeling that this was not the thing I was going to do for the rest of my life. I didn't not like it. I enjoyed it. It was okay. And I could do it. And I felt like I was good at it but it just didn't feel like the thing, which was kind of scary because I just spent all this time getting to this thing that I thought was my thing. So here I am and I start talking to my mom, talk to my dad, talk to all the people in my life who look at me like, are you crazy? You're a doctor. What are you talking about? You don't think you want to do that. What are you going to do? And talk to other doctors, which was not a good idea because they said, what else can you do? You went to medical school. This is what we do. So it took me a long time to get past that kind of mindset and start talking to different people. Honestly, we moved from Minnesota because I was tired of being cold to Kansas city, where I started working with some other female physicians. Urology is mostly a male dominated or has been a male dominated and treats male patients. So I was in a group of all men and just felt ununderstood. So 
moved back to Kansas City, started working with some female physicians who were OBGYNs. We actually bought a building, but even then the real estate part wasn't clicking to me. I started working with a woman business person who owned an insurance company. She had actually built an insurance company and she recommended Rich Dad, Poor Dad to me. Said, okay, Cheryl recommends it. Let me read it. Read that book. And it was like, just the ideas in there, thinking about money differently. And the book is an easy read. It wasn't complicated. It's just very straightforward. And then I started reading all the all of his other books and then got interested in real estate. My first property buy is an interesting story. And it, it wasn't like I read the book and bought a property. I can't remember how much time went by, but two years, three years went by. And I had been talking to a patient, a young woman who'd come in and, you know, whatever time her appointment was, she would come. It didn't seem like she had to come after work or try to come off before work or get off. It's like, what do you do, Jamie? She said, I'm a real estate investor. I was like, huh, interesting. And like they go over Singapore, they were traveling everywhere. So we carried that conversation for a while. And several different visits, she came in, we were talking about it. Then one day I came upon a property and I called her and asked her if she would go look at it with me. And she did. And it was in this part of town that was up and coming. We walked through the property and you know I'm nervous because you know what I don't, I don't know anything. It's our first thing. She looked at me and she said, listen, if you don't buy this house, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> she already owned a bunch. And she said, and if you buy it, we'll let you use our crew to rehab it. If you buy it, rehab it and can't rent it or don't make money or are losing money, I'll buy it from you. I'm like, what can I do? Buy the property, right? She took all the risk out of it. Here's the risk I was taking. It was a VA assumable loan back in 2005 or six. In the United States, they had these VA loans that you could assume. And I had to pay $500, 500 bucks down to own this property and then pay for the rehab and all that stuff. But you know, I look at that and I'm like, what kind of risk was that? You know, just, <laughs> why did you even have to think about that? Just go do it. <laughs> but that first one was scary. After we did that, we were like all in, dove into the deep end of the water. And I think over the next two years, we bought 18 properties. Wow. Just really took off. And it was then I realized, okay, look, once we get all these properties rented, I think I'll be ready to be able to quit. We'll have enough money with our debts down. I'll be able to quit. So I actually closed my practice and started doing what's called locums, which is temporary work while my husband was home getting everything ready to go. And then 2007, 2008 happened and... It didn't work out so well. We thought we knew what we were doing and turns out we were poorly capitalized. It just didn't go well at all for us. So we actually lost all of those properties. And I said, well, if I got to keep doing urology, if I'm going to keep doing this, then I'm going someplace pretty. And we moved to Hawaii. Nice. (laughs) I'm still trying to warm up from living in St. Paul, Minnesota. I don't know how you guys do it. Oh, that's nice. That's a really nice introduction. And there's so much to unpack over there, just like from starting with one of your patients who took the time to go visit this house with you and the moral boost that it is of like, this is a deal. If you don't buy it, I will. And I could just yep. see how that gave you the confidence to start and to get going. So now you described that period that was maybe like 10, 15 years ago. Can we just like fast forward to where you're at now? And then we can kind of go back to understand like what happened in between. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really bad time. So we lost all our stuff. But to me, it was like, this was not a real estate problem. This was a Felicia problem. This is us not understanding how we should have been situated problem. So this was just, you know, it's kind of like you think, you know, and then you realize you don't know. And this was just a painful 
financial thing. It really was. So decisions were made and I ultimately had to move back to the mainland because Hawaii was a little bit too expensive for what I was wanting to do. My credit was shot because of losing all those properties. I found a job that gave me a gigantic signing bonus, which is what I was really looking for. So I got this gigantic signing bonus, which let me buy three houses for cash that could get them rehabbed and get back into the game. So that was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago that that happened. I got back in and I started learning about real estate syndications. It just was really, really, really increased my education, listening to podcasts, going to seminars, joining inner circles, joining masterminds, really now in the deep end, not just paddling in the deep end. I'm learning how to swim in the deep end. Over time, I did apartment multifamily syndication. I've done a couple other things that just, I mean, it was like medicine at the beginning of medicine. It's like, yeah, this is good. I can do it. I can be good at it, but it just isn't doing it for me. There's something, there's more. And through the circle that I was in, went to a course on assisted living and how owning assisted living real estate and that business could be very profitable. Plus just listening to it, you really have an impact on people's lives, not just the people living in your home, but their families, which I'm learning a lot about now living with my mother who's declining health and how that can really help a family live better and feel less guilty about what they've about putting their parents somewhere that they're getting the care that they really need. It's really a hard struggle. This is when the social purpose and the social cause really starts like, oh, this is what my thing is. This is where I'm supposed to be. And it was shortly after that, that Money With Mission was born. We did buy a property that we renovated and turned into an assisted living home that we still own in Shawnee, Kansas, syndicated that. Another business that's a lot more to it than it seems like, you know how you take a class, you take a course and you learn and you have these mentors and they tell you all this stuff and then you start doing it and you're like, Hmm. This is a little more than I got out of that course. So there's been a lot of pivots there too. So now I've gotten to, I now live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So um, once I founded Money With Mission, once that really became who I was, and my company had another name and I had a mentor business coach who helped me get to Money With Mission and the name. And it just really, it's like, okay, this is me. This is who I am. And projects just start coming, you know, grocery projects, food desert projects, just lots of stuff. And we can get into that in just a minute. But a lot of things that are very, very, very interesting to me that have a really positive impact on the communities that we're in. We want to hear about that. I'm sure audience wants to hear about that. So tell us a little bit, you know, you told us the sort of the transition of how you got into doing things that are more impactful, but like when you look at, let's say your current projects, can you tell us what you're working on and how you see that as an impact investment in the community? Yeah. So right now, the most recent thing we finished, and I'll get into the things I'm looking at now, is a grocery store in North Tulsa. North Tulsa had not had a grocery store in over 14 years. And there had been a study by the city that showed that residents of North Tulsa lived 11 years less than the people of the rest of the city. It's a complicated picture, as you can imagine. But one of the things that you have to say has to be is that there's no food. And by no food, I don't mean there was nothing. You could buy in my neighborhood, actually, I live in North Tulsa. There are about 14 fast food restaurants in a two block radius. 14 of them. And until our grocery store came in that same two blocks, there was no place to get anything fresh. You could go to the convenience store and buy canned whatever. And some of them are trying to get some fresh stuff in there, but it was just not good food. So now we have the grocery store. We have the real estate with that. We're running the business 
and it's doing quite well, to me, that's a, a huge impact for North Tulsa and for many people who are helping us to keep the store going. When we first start, you know, business first starts, it's some rough going at first. People have their patterns. They're used to going five miles to Walmart. They're used to going however far to whatever store they usually go to. And patterns are now changing. They're coming to our grocery store, full service, has everything you could need. And we're getting there. It's really exciting. Wow. That's really an interesting transition in terms of the real estate investing and then op- deciding to go commercial to open a grocery store and stuff. And just to understand a little bit more about this project, I highly doubt that you're the operator of that. So can you kind of walk us through like, how did you structure it? Because I doubt that anyone on your team is placing the orders for the carrots and the salads, right? No, correct. No one on the team is doing it, but we do have a, one of the members of the team is kind of the overall manager and a manager of the manager, just like we mm-hmm. do in our apartment complexes. We manage the managers, right? So mm-hmm. we have a store manager who was a manager at a different store before that. He's in there. Our guy on our team that's a part of our company, the LLC that op that owns the store, oversees all that. So the store also has a foundation. So he's good at fundraising for that foundation that can help other parts of the city do things. So nobody in our team is ordering carrots and doing all that. We did negotiate the deals with the wholesalers, yes, but we're not in their stocking. Yeah, that's not true. Sometimes we're in their stocking. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're not the have, full-time operator. I'm not the full-time operator. And when I go in there and something needs to get done, just like we do everywhere else, something needs to get done, you do it. Your employees are working, they're working their butts off. And right now there's some shortages of employees, it seems like. So sometimes you just got to get in there and make it look like you want it to look. I'm not a produce person. I can't get over there and make the produce look pretty, but I can make the cereal boxes look pretty and line them up and get those all looking good. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. But so let's say you got this maybe an opportunity and you had this idea that like, this is what this community needs. I mean, do you partner with someone? How does that turn into like starting a business as well as buying the building? This was two years in the making, if not longer. I was asked to join a group and I was asked to be the fundraiser. So we started this project, like I said, two years ago, and the city kept coming. We actually came here to build an indoor controlled farm. So a hydroponic farm is what we came here for. And then the city said, hey, we need a grocery store. Can you do a grocery store? These other people who were going to do this grocery store have backed out. And the guy who was here looking at all that stuff said, sure, I can do a grocery store. I don't know if he's ever done a grocery store before, but you know, you're just like, sure, we can do that. How hard can it be? <laughs> Over the next two years, we found out how hard it could be, but we got the right people coming on our team. So just like I have a t-shirt that says, I got this. And this, the lady who gave it to me, the mentor that gave it to me said, you know, you just say yes, just say yes. And then figure out, you don't have a clue of how you're going to take care of it, but you'll figure it out if it's something that really aligns with what you want to do, which is for me, how I don't know how this is going to look. I don't know what the structure is going to look like, but t- to come in and put a grocery store in a food desert, helping people who have no other way of getting that was just aligned with me. I'm doing it and we'll figure it out as we go. There have been a ton of bumps in this road, a ton of them. The store was open a year ago in May. It's been a ride. It's been exciting. It's still a ride, just like everything else. Nothing is always smooth. Is anything smooth, you guys? I don't think no, so. No, no. Like, the smoothness of it is it's got the bumps <laughs> and, and the things that you know are going to come. And you just prepare for them and you learn from them. That's basically what we're doing. And right now we're on this path to do this over and over and over again. Now that wow. we know we do it, we've got a ton of cities looking for us to come and do the same thing. 
And what we're tying with it and what I'm looking to tie with that is affordable housing. So, you know, people are putting up housing in lots of places, but they don't necessarily think about putting food with that affordable housing. So you make food deserts, but because, you know, across the United States, which is where I am, housing shortage. So there's an affordable housing shortage. So the homeless population is growing. So I'm looking at affordable housing without creating a food desert. So that's how we're kind of looking at it. And Jim, one of my partners has got gigantic developers and on board with us. And there's just, it's a huge project that we're taking on. And I, I don't know if any of us know all the different pieces of it, but we know our little parts and the whole thing kind of fits together. It's, it's pretty doggone exciting, I got to say. For sure. And now I understand a lot more what you were describing at the beginning about how money with a mission was created after and doing some assisted living, bringing some grocery stores, now doing affordable housing. As you said, mm -hmm. that's what creates a community and develops a place where people are happy to live and they will raise a family, they will find employment. And then there's that snowball effect. Yes. Given the evolution of the company and what you guys have done together, what kind of projects are you looking for in the future? So Money with Mission is a part of this whole bigger group. And then Money with Mission has its own thing too. And I have a foundation that's still trying to figure itself out. For my for-profit company, I'm looking at affordable housing here in Tulsa around this grocery store and working with another guy who is here in town, a developer who's got a ton of properties. He actually likes to buy single family houses is what his thing has been, buy single family houses and rehab it and put a family in there and then teach them how they can buy that property. So he mm -hmm. works with them and has a bank work with them to figure out how they can actually ultimately purchase that property, get more homeowners for all the reasons you just talked about, ties to the community, it ties you to making things better in your community. You want your whole neighborhood to look good. So you do the things you can do. Just the snowball effect that happens from pride of ownership, even if you don't end up owning that place, living someplace that's worthy of you living there. I have another friend of mine here in Tulsa who looked at some properties and goes, the sad part is you walk in there and you can see through the cracks outside and people are actually living in this property. That's not acceptable. And having that kind of landlord and that kind of mentality towards other people to me is just completely unacceptable. So that's what we're out to change. There's some boarded up buildings around here in good neighborhoods that can be good investments for people. I'm not talking about investing just for the social impact. We're talking about investing for a financial return and the impact that it can have on that community. So those two things go together for me. That's inspiring. And I guess that's like my next question. When I was on your show a little while ago, we, we sort of threw this back and forth uh, off camera afterwards, but what kind of advice would you have for someone who wants to do real estate investing, but do it with a view to having some kind of positive social impact? Like, do you have any advice for someone who wants to take that direction? The biggest thing is to decide what impact you want to have. And once you have that mindset, for me, every time I got to the place of, oh, this is what I really want, the things really started to come. Your eyes are just open. And maybe that's what it is. They've always been there. You just didn't see them. You figure out what you're aligned with, what impact, what thing do you want to change or what do you want to be better where you live or where you want to invest? And I tell you, those things are going to come to you. And if you can't find them, check out Money with Mission. Give me a call. I'll help you figure that out. I know a ton of impact projects, ton of people running really good impact projects too that can align with most people in some way. And it's very inspiring to hear you say that because a lot of people starting in real estate, like, oh, I just want to do residential and I want to have a good return and cash flow and appreciation and all those benefits that we all know. And many people, and I've been actually surprised, are like, no, I'd like to have an impact. Like, I'd love to do a daycare. I'd love 
love to do an old folks home. I'd love to do, uh, you know, all these things, but sometimes we just don't know how. And I find it connects to what you said earlier about like, just say yes. You have no idea what you're doing, but you'll figure it out. And that's really in the mindset. And you seem to be really strong on that. So how did you develop this mindset? Because a lot of people, if they don't know exactly how they're going to do it, they're just going to say no, because they feel like it's something that's unattainable. Yeah, that's an interesting question, because I am that person is like who started out like, if I don't know how to do it, then how am I going to do it? <laughs> and I, I don't really know exactly when that happened. And maybe it was buying that first property and having Jamie support me through that. And I didn't know what I was doing and just kind of walk you through. I have found over the course of my life now that whenever you don't know what to do, if you ask, there's somebody out there who knows how to help you or who can get you to somebody who knows how to help you. And that network, that's the hugest thing. People who are isolated and want to do it by themselves or think they have to do it by themselves have the hardest road to go. Those will be the people who say, no, I can't do it because I don't know how. But if you have a network and you know people and you're not afraid to let people know that you don't know, you have no problems get out there and do what you want to do. That's my biggest learning in my life. I got to tell you, I didn't get the network thing when I first went to medical school. It was, you know, you just do your thing. And the A students, the people like me, engineers, we're kind of those people who think you got to know how to do everything and take forever to get anything done because you want to understand it completely yourself before you do. I tell all the people that I run into like that, get over yourself. Terry and I were talking about a friend, Billy, we both are tell each other, get over yourself, just start doing it and you'll figure out how to go because we are both, I want to understand it before I do it. Fail forward. (laughs) That's a big thing though. A big thing is because in medicine, I mean, and just imagine if you fail, if you make a mistake, it's huge. It has big consequences and they happen all the time. And we learn from them, but we forget that part. We forget that there's the learning part of making that mistake, even in medicine, in real estate investing, in all these other things we do in our life from walking and riding a bike to everything else. You make a mistake before you get it right. And if you get it right the first time you got lucky in the conversation to me, you just got lucky. So failing is the way we learn and you can't fail if you don't try. And so get out there and do it. So like super inspiring, Felicia, super inspiring. So I don't know, Axel, if you don't have any other questions, I might just kick it back to you, Felicia, and say, is there something that you want to share with our audience kind of by way of conclusion, some golden nugget? I think I just did. Um, I'm about to put you on the spot. <laughs> Get, out there. Get out there and do it. If you are looking to invest and you want to invest, if multifamily is your thing and you are providing housing to people, that's an impact. That is a positive social impact. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be putting grocery stores and food deserts. It can be buying an apartment building that's not been running well, that's been had crappy landlords and making it run well for people who can afford it. Imagine the ripple effect of that person able now to not have to worry about their house. I got some place to live and I'm good to go. I do have a gift for your listeners. I have my ebook called Creating Wealth That Outlives You. And they can get that by going to legacy at moneywithmission.com and we can get that to you. Great. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great idea. I hope all the listeners go over there, go check out the website and go support Money with a Mission. Not only will you learn, but you'll also be contributing to a good cause. So thank you very much for joining us today. As Terry said, it's very inspiring to hear your story and see how it is possible to pivot in one's professional life and uh, hone in on the mission that we feel is important and contribute back to society and to our, at least our local community. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for letting me. I appreciate it. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.